Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Joshua. How many of you are enjoying this study? You enjoying this study? Isn't this exciting? Praise the Lord. Um, today is kind of uh, an exciting and I hope, I hope earth-shaking message for all of us. I'm going to be sharing some things that God is teaching me in some mighty ways. And our key thought is this. Surrender to God gives God freedom. Now, God is free to do whatever he wants, but he's, he's chosen to do it this way. So surrender to God gives him freedom to do God-sized things in your life. Often we are holding on to something in our life and it is keeping God from doing great things in your life. Now, God set it up that way. Now, sometimes he crushes and, and he does great things anyway, but God is a gentleman. And we see this in the book of Joshua over and over and over again. God says, obey me, and something completely unexpected happens. You think of the walls of Jericho. They did not expect the walls of Jericho to come down the way they did. And yet they obeyed God. They just they walked around the walls seven times, and the walls came down. But then we have... Uh, an act of disobedience in the next battle that they have. Remember the battle at Ai. And there's a couple of things that happen. In the battle at Jericho, at the end of that, you have Achan who takes some of the treasure. God says, you don't get to take the treasure, at least at Jericho. Now, at Ai, they're going to be able to do that. So if, if Achan would have just waited, he could have had all that God had wanted him to have. But this wasn't about treasure. It was about obedience. And that's how the Christian life works. And so you disobey, you lose God's power. It's a pretty simple thought, isn't it? You disobey, you lose the blessing and the power of God on your life. And, and I want you to get this. I want you to soak in this idea. And then they go uh, to Ai and they only send 3,000. They do not consult the Lord. God's, when they do consult him, they, he says, now I want you to send 30,000 and we're going to do an ambush attack. God always has different plans for different battles. Yesterday's power is not sufficient for this hour. You have to be in close fellowship, close contact with the Lord if you're going to see him do God-sized things. And then we see the next uh, phase in, in the book of Joshua. It has to do with the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are a major, major nation. And they're one of seven great nations in the book of Joshua. And there's a coalition. And they leave the coalition and they lie to Joshua. And Joshua does not perceive that they're lying because he did not seek counsel, the Bible says, from the Lord. And again, you have a failure. You have a great failure. But they turn back to the Lord and we're going to find out that Today, in today's chapter, as we've, we've read in our scripture reading, that the five, there's five remaining Canaanite nations that are in that coalition, and they come against Israel and Joshua. But this time, they're ready. They haven't, you know, put away their faith. They haven't said, okay, we're going to be defeated now because we've compromised with the Gibeonites. No, they've repented. They've turned back to the Lord. They're seeking counsel with the Lord. You know, whenever you ask God for forgiveness of your sins and you turn back to him, 
Full fellowship is restored. Isn't that amazing? Full fellowship. So there's no failure that God cannot use for his greater glory. Sometimes we think, well, failure, that just does me in. No, it gives you an opportunity in that that, um, backdrop of sin to shine the light even brighter. And we're going to see that the greatest miracle in the book of Joshua takes place after one of their greatest failures. Now, I want you to see something because God asks Israel to go against this five-nation coalition. It looks like an impossible thing. It looks like a lost cause, a lost war. And sometimes we're looking into something in our life and it looks like a lost cause. But God is telling us to move forward because he's going to give us victory. And I want you to understand this. When God asks us to do something uncomfortable, it's usually because he wants to do something remarkable. When God asks us to do something uncomfortable, it's usually because he wants uh, to do something that is remarkable. Looking into an impossible situation, it looks impossible because you're looking at your own power. But is there anything too hard for the Lord? When God tells you to go. You may see a mountain, but God sees that mountain cast into the sea. You may see a cross, but God sees a resurrection. And so when God asks us to do something uncomfortable, it's because he wants us to do something remarkable through his power. And what we're going to find, I'm going to say this over and over again in this sermon, because I know that each one of you or holding on to something in your life. Now, now maybe there are some fully surrendered people here. I, I, I don't know. God has asked me to surrender a whole lot in the last couple of years. It started with a big truck hitting me on my way to church two years ago, almost two years ago exactly. I was turning in onto Wheaton Road two blocks from here, and this Ford F-150, I'm just sitting, getting ready to turn. I got my turn signal on, and all of a sudden, 40 miles an hour, this truck plows right in the back of me, pushes me into oncoming traffic where more cars start hitting me. And I felt like I was going to die. I saw my whole life go before my eyes. And I said, Lord, I'm ready. I want to go. And God said, no, I'm getting you ready to do something remarkable. I'm making you very uncomfortable. And boy, was I uncomfortable. I was paralyzed for about two and a half months, not, not physically, but, but I had concussion, a concussion, a serious brain injury that I had to be in the darkness of my room. Now, that's just not me. I'm, I'm hyperactive, you know. I, I'm, that's a gift that God gave me. And he said, no, I'm going to put you in a bed for two and a half months in complete darkness. And God just pounded and pounded and pounded on my heart. Honestly, during that time, I felt like resigning. I actually talked to my wife about maybe, maybe it's time for me to move on. I was so depressed at times. I didn't know what God was doing. I had no idea. And he, he brought trials after that, even, in my own life. Most of them emotional. And you know what he was doing? It's kind of like 
Andrew gave me this. This is chocolate puro. He's, he's taking off after this service. You've got to say goodbye to, to Andrew uh, going back to Spain. But, you know, it was kind of like I, I just didn't want to let go of several things in my life. Most of it had to do with control. I wanted to be the, the God of my own circumstances. And God had to cause me to surrender and open up that clenched hand so that he could take this from me and give me something so much greater. Now, whatever you're holding on to, it's nothing compared to what God wants to put in your hands. Some, some of you are, are you're, in, you're looking at an impossible situation. You're looking at your marriage. And, and if you're married, you have many of these. Where you say, Lord, change my spouse and everything will be better. And God says, no, I want to change you. And you're not willing to surrender your spouse. You're not willing to surrender your marriage. And when you do, and we, we don't know what happens. God can do whatever he wants. He gives you something so much more remarkable. It may be your time. You may feel exhausted. You may feel pressed. Maybe you're a mother of young children and you are always exhausted. You are always feeling completely at your wit's end. And you know what? God wants you to surrender your time so that he can give you a spirit of rest. It may be your treasure. You've always wanted to give something to the, 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 the God's people, God's church. You've always wanted to give something to missions. You've never been able to give. And, and it's just like you've been tight. And, and, and you've never... Can I just say that God could drop $100,000 right in your lap? He could, he could drop that right in your lap, but he wants to know you're faithful first. He's not going to give it to you if you're going to spend it on yourself. And so you're, you're, you're so upset, you're so worried, at, there's so much month at the end of your paycheck because, and some of you are smiling, because you've seen God do great and mighty things where you have surrendered your treasure to God and he is over and exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think he, is, he has blessed you because he knows you're going to be faithful with it. He knows you're going to be generous. Can I just say this, that what is impossible with man is possible with God. That's our word, possible. Whatever you think is impossible. And I don't know what the area of your life is, but that's the area that, the area that you feel most choked in, the most, uh, the most underwater in. You're just drowning and you just don't know what to do. That's the area, your area of greatest weakness is what God is going to use to demonstrate his power. Because if he used the place you were strongest in, he would not get all the glory, right? He uses the weak and the foolish things to confound the mighty, to confound the wise, that no human being should glory in his presence. So let's look at the mess here in Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. It says, As soon as Adoni Zadok, 
king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai as its king, as, uh, and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly. Because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zadok, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. Can I just say that it looks like Joshua has made a mess. The reason that these five kings are forming this coalition against Joshua at this moment is because the Gibeonites have been brought in with Israel. And remember, that, was, that occurred because they had not consulted the Lord. Now, how many of you have found yourself in a mess because of the decisions that you made? And you have not sought the counsel of the Lord. It is often during those times that Satan will bind us. And we forget that Jesus came to bind Satan, not to bind us. Amen? But we let Satan bind us when we're at our low point. Joshua didn't allow that to happen. God's going to do something remarkable at your lowest and your weakest point if you will allow him. He says through Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. How many of you know that God can make your mess into his masterpiece? What does he say in Ephesians 2? That we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were enslaved because of our own flesh, the way we see things so selfishly. We were enslaved to the wicked one and all of his uh, deceitful philosophies. And we were enslaved to the sparkling world that just promises so much and gives so little. We were absolutely slaves of our sin but God. Amen? But God, who's rich in mercy, with his own love wherewith he loved us, he made us alive, right? He made us alive. And what does it say? By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast in his sight. For you are his masterpiece, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And we might even say unto great works. Amen? You're not to be dead. That's not who you are. 
And so many times when we have a mess, when we have a failure, when we've chosen to sin in our lives, we fail to latch on to the mercy and the grace and the resurrection power of God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Joshua, I want to remind you, is no spring chicken. Remember, Joshua has seen a mess back with Moses, back before he was a general, back when he was just a spry 40-year-old man. And he went in with the 12 spies in, in Numbers 13. And the people said in Numbers 13, 33, we went into the land, we spied it out, we're totally afraid, we're not going in because, because the people there make us look like grasshoppers. They're giants in the land. And, you know, he goes in in Numbers 14 and, 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 and Joshua says, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And that's what God, God had taught that to Joshua so that in this kind of situation, he would not give up. He would move forward. If you will, in any kind of mess, in any kind of failure, take your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of your failure. And you get your eyes on the Lord. And God will take the protection away from all of your enemies so that you have nothing to fear. Can I just give a testimony here about our elders and our pastors? I have seen them look awful, terrible things, terrible situations in the eye. And it has astounded me because I feel like I've grown so much coming here and ministering here at Living Hope. Because I didn't... I have seen the elders here look at things that were just impossible and just have a totally calm spirit. I've seen terrible things be put up against our elders. You know, one of our pastors, I remember uh, there was somebody making an accusation against him and, and, and he was just so calm. He was just so calm. And when I, when I went after that accusation, they, the people were, they, they, they said that it was a lie. It was a lie. It, it, it was said he had, was teaching something falsely, but he, but he wasn't. Anyway, he just stood there calmly. How about you? What, do you? what is your demeanor in the face of impossibilities, in, in, in the face of difficult situations? Do you panic? Do you fear? When you're looking at those giants, what is your, what is your disposition? Did you know one of the fruit of the Spirit is meekness? Do you know what meekness is? It's calm. It's calm in the face of disaster. And, and, and it's calm in the face of injustice. You know what we normally do in the face of disaster and injustice? We get all panicky. We get all angry. We get all frustrated. But the fruit of the Spirit is meekness. That's when your eyes are not on yourself. They're not on the situation. You are looking at God and I'll say it again, when God asks you to do something uncomfortable, it's because he wants to do something remarkable. 
Now, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, we remember that God uses weak people. Paul said this, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, for when I am weak, then I am what? I am strong. You can't do anything in your own power but make a mess. But if you surrender and stop holding on to that area of your life that you feel like you can fix and give it to God, you'll stop making a mess and God will start making a masterpiece. Now let's look at the mission that they're given. They're given a mission to go against the five great, greatest nations of Canaan. And we read about this in verses 6 through 11. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal. This is Joshua 10, verse 6. Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So let me just pause there. The Nations of Canaan think they're going to take advantage of Israel by destroying the Gibeonites. Now, if we were to look at this in the flesh, we would just say, well, let them perish. We're strong without them. We don't need the Gibeonites. But remember, Joshua and and the leaders of Israel had made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And their character was more important than their gifting. Let me say that again. Their character was more important than their gifting. You may be gifted to do great things for God, but if you don't have character, you're going to be a failure. And the, the problem here with our mindset often is we, we rely on our gifting. We can do it. We can sling a Bible verse. We can evangelize. We, we, we can do the church thing, but we don't have character. And what you are in secret is what you really are. And Joshua knew that. He was no longer living for himself. He, he, he was not going to compromise anymore. But because he had compromised and because he had made a covenant with the Gibeonites, he knew that he was living in the face of God. He was living in the presence of God at all times. And he dare not break his word. So, They have to go defend this nation that they could just sacrifice. But because their character outweighed their gifting, they did not disobey the Lord in this. Look at verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them. This is verse 8 of chapter 10. For I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Not a man of them shall stand before you, he says. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before, the, before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. I want you to understand how God works. This is displayed in narrative in the Old Testament, but it's, it's taught 
in didactic epistles in the New Testament. That is, there, there's a principle that we see the illustration of in the Old Testament, and that is that whatever you do with your hand, whatever you do with your power, God is going to super abundantly multiply. Super abundantly multiply. So more died through the hailstones that God sent down from heaven then the warriors killed themselves. In other words, in their own power, Israel was no match for the Canaanite coalition. No match whatsoever. But God superabounded their power, their little power. We see this in two places in the New Testament. We read, just turn over to Ephesians. You've got to see this. If you don't have these underlined and memorized, you've got to do this. But you've you got to see this. We're going to see these verses, but then I want to back up a little bit and just show you what he's asking in this prayer. By the way, we looked at this on Wednesday night. If you're missing out on Wednesdays, boy, you are really missing out. But look at, look at verses 20 and 21. He says, Now unto him who is what? Able, he's able to do. He's going to do something in and through your life. And how, if you ask him, he's able to do, to get in and do something where it's the hand of God and everybody knows it. And how is he going to do that? In, according to your plans? According to anything you can think of? No, he says far more, far more. Yeah, and then he says far more abundantly than all that we ask. So you could ask God and think about it for a billion years, and no matter what you ask, God's plan is super abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine. If you had a billion years just to ponder, what can God do through this little vessel, through this little power, you wouldn't be able to imagine what he could do. And it is according to the power at work within us. That is the same Glory that they saw resting above the mercy seat. That pillar of glory cloud is, resides in us. And it's for his glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Now what, what is he praying here? Uh, Joshua was looking not just to defeat the Canaanites. This was not mainly about Defeating the Canaanites? No. What does he say at the very beginning of the Pentateuch? I'm your God. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is not about the Canaanites. This is about fellowship with God. And often our prayers are all about the Canaanites. Oh, Lord, quell this in my life. Quell that in my life. But it should not, your main prayer should not be about Canaanites. It should not be about your problems and your difficulties and those standing in the way. What are they standing in the way of? They're standing in the way of what God really wants for you. And what is that? Well, look at verse 15 of Ephesians 3. And you'll have to study this more on your own because there's so much here. But look at verse 15. He says that... Uh, that he, he's, he's, he's bowing before the Father, verse 14. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you what? To be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then he says that Christ may dwell in your heart, may live there. He might move into your heart and be king on the throne of your life. Be rooted and grounded in his love. What kind of love is that? It's a love you can't measure. It's a love that 
you may have the strength to comprehend all, with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. You can't know how long the love of Christ, how deep the love of Christ is, how wide it is. So he wants you to know the fullness of the power of the Spirit. He wants you to know the depth of the love of Christ. And then he says, he just says it all, I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, we need to get our eyes on what God wants us to get our eyes on. It's not mainly the conquering of Canaan. It is the fellowship with our great God. It's walking in his presence. It's joy. And so many of us are praying that God would change our situation when God is wanting to change you. And you have your situation and feel so weak and so defeated. And God wants to take something uncomfortable so that he can do something remarkable in your life. Here's another one, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's all about in your little tiny power, you are expecting God to work in you his will for his good pleasure. It is when we are walking with God that revival comes. We don't need anything else. I think of Evan Roberts, who was a very, very young man when he began to pray for God to give an outpouring to his nation. And he not only gave an outpouring to Wales, but it hit the entire, all of Europe. I mean, Spurgeon talks about this great awakening that, that, that reached all the way to London and even further than that. And what was it? Because you had this young man. He began praying when he was just a child. And he began to pray. And, and sometimes he would pray and he, time would stop and he wouldn't even know what time it was. He would find out that it would be 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and he did this for a number of years. I believe it was at least a decade. And he prayed, and he, this was his whole life, was just to pray and to commune with God. And he wasn't thinking about the Canaanites. When God is present, all the Canaanites look like little grasshoppers, and God is the giant. Amen? And so I want you to see this miracle. We've seen the mess, we've seen the mission, go conquer these five nations, not in your own power, but in mine. Here's the miracle in verses 12 and following. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Remember the promise in verse 8. He said, not one of them will be able to stand to withstand you. Not one of them. And as the sun was going down, Joshua must have remembered that promise. Uh, Lord, there's a whole lot of them that are still left. There's a whole lot of them 
Now, some of us, I want you to get this, some of us are just fine with a little victory. But we don't let God do the whole thing. We've got to understand that where your strength ends is where God's miraculous power begins. You can never be content with a little victory because God wants to give you the fullness of a complete victory. As the sun is going down, he says, Lord, I I just have this little prayer request. I need the day to be a little bit longer. Well, that's never happened in the history of the world. I need the day to be just a little bit longer. And it ended up being about a full day. And he prays, Son, stand still. Now, this wasn't an incantation. Sometimes the word of faith preachers will say, you know, You've got to say things and you can almost do things like God does know. Joshua was just a simple vessel submitted to God. And God, but God chose to answer this audacious prayer. And it wasn't about, you know, the sun standing still. Again, that was the means to the end. The end wasn't even defeating the Canaanites. The end was fellowshipping with God through his promises. And his promise was that not one of them shall stand. Not one of them. And he believes God and he asks for the sun to stand still. Are you powerless in your life? Do you know how weak you are? Are you availing the power of God. Remember, I just told you the story of how God showed me my powerlessness. Now, before that car accident, I was just as powerless as when I was in that bed. But I was proud. And God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. God had to work that pride out of me so I could see my powerlessness. Listen, you are weak. Can everybody say, I am weak? I am weak, but God is, he's strong, all right? It's okay that you're weak. And some of you are like, I'm so weak, God, make me strong. No, you're never going to be strong. You're always going to be weak. It's God who's strong. And when you realize your weakness, you get to understand the omnipotence of God. You get to see the omnipotence of God unleashed through your life. He he never unleashes it through, you know, the great. If he ever does, he has to crush them so badly. Look at Saul of Tarsus. When he calls him, he says, by the way, you're going to suffer more than anyone of my servants. Because he was wise and he was strong. And he had to become like a weakling so that Christ's power could rest upon him. And he was so strong in his flesh that he had to have a messenger of Satan beat him up constantly and regularly because he had so many revelations from God. He could have, it could have made him proud. But he just walked, just like Jacob walked with a limp. How about you? Are you under a delusion right now that you have any strength at all? You are weak. Glory in your weakness. 
that the power of Christ would rest upon you. Now, I want us to, to uh, look at this final thing and uh, look at verses 13 through 14. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, and the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is, not, is this not written in the book of Jashar? By the way, people ask me, what is, what is the book of Jashar? I have no idea, but apparently it was another record at that time. And then it says, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. I don't know what went down here. I can't explain it. I can't explain it scientifically. But I do know this. That God answered Joshua's prayer so that he could have full victory over his enemies. And let me just say this again. Never be content with a little victory because God wants you to live in the fullness of his complete victory. And some of you have seen a little bit of victory in your life. And you've gotten stronger. But the full work has not yet been done. And so you get up and you get knocked down really quick because you get prideful. And you see a little bit of victory, but instead of just being in awe of God, you get a little bit of pride. Because you still have Canaanites in the land. And there are times in your life when you need to say, Lord, make the sun stand still. You need to have a sun stand still moment. And that's incredible when that happens. I had a sun stand still moment in my life, not when the, the car hit me. It was a long time after that. But I realized something, and I don't know what it was. I can't tell you because flesh and blood does, does not reveal these things to you. It's the Spirit of God. But I saw so clearly in the Word that I never had to be angry. I never had to be fearful. I never have to be apathetic. I can always be plugged into the Spirit of God and I've learned how to cut off sin before it conceives in my heart and I'm not perfect at it. I fail, but listen, I am enjoying the presence of God and the Canaanites look so small in my life now when before they were just hovering over me and harassing me. Months at times, years of depression, difficulty, Wondering, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to memorize this. I'm going to do that. And I'm doing Bible studies and I'm praying. And I'm begging God. I'm like a Baal worshiper whipping myself and cutting myself. And God's like, that's not how I work. You're coming at me with pagan faith. I need you to come at me with divine faith. Something engendered that's not from you, from this world, from some mechanism, some five steps to holiness or something like that. No, you need to meet with the living God. And when you do that, he will give you his complete victory. He will give you that miracle. What is the miracle? The destruction of the Canaanites? No! 
That was on the road to the miracle. The miracle is the fullness of God being manifested in Israel. And you've been grafted into this. And so you, I, I've seen people in this congregation pray those sun stand still prayers about broken relationships, about financial provision, about career aspirations, about spiritual breakthroughs at work in the community or elsewhere, physical and emotional healing. You know, some of you are praying for healing, but you have not let go of the idol of your health. You're so afraid of what happens with your health, and you're holding on to it, and you haven't let go And God's not going to heal you. Now, he doesn't heal everybody, but you shouldn't call for the elders to anoint you with oil until you have surrendered your health to God in the first place. Because he he may or may not heal you either way, but he definitely is not going to heal you if you're holding on to health as an idol. Some of you want your loved ones saved just so that you can be with them in eternity, but you don't want them saved simply for the glory of God. And your motives are off. And you are holding your children as an idol. And you got to let them go. And you say, God, I have nothing that I can do for them in and of myself. You've got to do it. Some of you want to stand strong against temptation. And there's this, this life-dominating thought process or sin or, or maybe it's anger or, 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 or worldliness or lust or, and, 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 and you've got this in your life and you're, you haven't surrendered something to God. And I don't know the heart, but once you surrender, whatever the thrill is in the world that is so great, oh, I feel so good when I just let my anger out. It just feels so good. Whatever feels so good in that is going to feel so dull compared to the electrifying presence of Almighty God. You have to expel the lesser power with the greater power, the lesser joy, the the, the joy of sin for a season with the greater infinite joy of Jesus Christ. And until you do that, until you understand That everything that sparkles is a lie in this world. And then your eyes are going to see the glory of God. And you're going to have the fullness of victory. You're going to have the big miracles. And so I I want us to just stand right now. And I'm going to give an invitation. And the first, the first invitation I want to give is to those who, who may be lost here today. And you say, you know, Matt, I, am, I go to church. I know a little bit about the Bible, but I don't know that I'm born again. I don't know that I'm in Christ. And that's why I have no victory because I'm not a Christian. I've, I know a lot about Christ, but I, I'm, I'm enslaved. I'm still dead in my sins, and I need to be raised from the dead. And you might be a child here, and this, this is the day that God is calling you. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't harden your heart. 
Let the Spirit have his way. If this is your moment to come into the kingdom, you come. He's calling you. He says, come to me. And I, you are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you say, I need to know Christ. I need Christ. You may be, you, you may be older here. You may be younger. Whatever your age, God says, come. If that is your desire, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just as we pray, I want you to, I want you to just slip up your hand so that I can pray for you. Say, I need Jesus Christ. I need Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're so, that's such a humbling thing. Thank you. Humble yourself before the Lord. Someone else, you say, I, I need Christ. I, I don't know that I'm a believer. I don't know that I'm a Christian, but I need Christ. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I'm struggling with it. Just pray for me. Maybe that's you. You don't know. Well, you should be able to know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Several. Anyone else? Thank you for your humility. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm going to pray for you in just a minute, but now I want to talk to God's children. I want to talk to those who are securely in Christ, but you are, you're looking at the mess and you're saying, I'm tired of, of living life in my weakness. And God has opened my eyes, and by faith I'm going to take a step forward in the power of God and I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask him for that sun stand still moment. I'm going to ask him for that. It's really just the normal Christian life of living in the power of the love of Christ and the Spirit and the fullness of God. If that's you, you say, I am, I am looking at my mess. There's something that God has shown me, and I need to surrender it. I know exactly what it is, or maybe you don't know, but you, you want him to show you what it is. And I need surrender right now. I need to surrender and I want the fullness of God in my life. Now, don't, we don't change in fuzzy land, okay? So God's going to show you clearly. He's going to show you clearly what you're supposed to surrender. This is not just a general thing. And if you're saying, I need that prayer, I need that prayer for God to help me to surrender right now. Not tomorrow, not in a week. This isn't a process. This is, this is a moment. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, I want God to turn this mess into a masterpiece. I'm asking him right now. He's showing me something. I want God to turn this mess into a masterpiece. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Lord, we have come to you. You have seen our hearts. You have seen the desire of your people. And you said that you'll answer according to your will. We know this is your will. We know that we already have the petition that we have desired. And so I'm asking right now those who indicated their need of salvation, that they would come to know you even right now. They would come to know you by faith, Lord. There were several who raised their hands. And I'm asking that even right now, they would right now come to you through the open door of Jesus. He's the door that just swings wide open. He's the door. He's the way. And just, Lord, as, as we pray, I'm going to pray for those who are lost right now and, and that they would just pray, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I have nothing to come to you with. Lord, I'm such a mess. Lord, I, I don't even know if I'm a believer. Lord, I, I don't know how to come to you, but you've done it all. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead for me. And, and by faith, with no power and no confidence in myself, I come in the power of the resurrection to be saved. 
I don't come with my works. I don't come with any accomplishment. I come with all the filth and stench of my sin, and I ask you, Lord, to save me right now. Oh, God, save my soul. Oh, Lord, I know that hell is coming and that Christ has wiped away hell and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I'm asking you, save me. I do not come on my own merit, but I come on the life and death of Jesus Christ and that he might be my all, that I'd stop living for anything in myself, that I would only live for him. Oh, God, we pray these things for those who may be lost today. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters even here right now who have given their lives to Christ and they've seen some victories, but they have been so defeated that they almost feel lost on some days. And some days they even doubt that they're a Christian. Now I'm asking that they would no longer look at themselves, that they wouldn't look at their failure but that you would turn this mess into a miracle. I'm asking, Lord, that you take this hard thing, this uncomfortable thing, and do something remarkable. I'm asking for full surrender. Father, thank you that this takes no effort. It's just resting on you. (laughs) We have to get rid of our effort, Lord. We have to rest on you. So I'm asking that wherever we are trying to make it happen in our own power, that we would just put away the works of the flesh, these dead works, and rest right now as a church, as a congregation. I pray that no one would be left behind, that everyone here and everyone that can hear the sound of my voice would be resting in Jesus right now and resting everything that they have and and leaving this place with this strange joy that they haven't maybe experienced in a long time. Maybe they have never experienced this joy. But to know that it's all done, it's all complete, it's all in Jesus. Oh, Lord God, now that we've asked, we know that we've missed the mark because you said that you would do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine. So whatever we've just asked, which is amazing, would you do abundantly above? Would you do more than we could think or imagine? And we ask this for the glory of Christ to be lifted up as our head and that this power of the Spirit would be so manifest that everyone who sees us would want that rest. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.